many of you are excited for church today? Anybody excited? I knew that about you. I did. I knew that because this is the rowdy service. I just want to let you guys know that I always look forward to this because you holler, you scream, you shout me down. And so I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. And before we get into the message today, I have one announcement to make. And that is, uh, most of you know that every single year we do one intentional large offering that really kind of sets us up for the year to come, that is all about advancement, that's all about reaching more. It's not about keeping the lights on. It's not about buildings and operations or staffing or ministry that we're currently doing. It's all about forward movement. It's called our Until Jesus Runs This Town offering, and it's exactly what it says it is. Our goal is really to, to move forward and to take Erie and the surrounding communities by storm and do everything that we can until Jesus runs this Town And so every year we come prepared to give. And the reason why I tell it to you now is because I don't want you to give last minute. I don't want you to give out of compulsion or out of pressure. The Bible says, don't do that. That God loves a cheerful giver. And so this is what we ask you to do. Pray. That's it. Pray, ask God what he would have you give, and then do that. That's it, whatever he lays on your heart, and I'm just trusting that it's going to continue to make an impact in our city. That happens on December 8th and 9th, the weekend of that offering. So go ahead and plan now. You'll hear about it from time to time over the next, I'm giving you like eight weeks advance notice, right? So you can really pray together as a family, seek God on your own. What would God have you do? All right, enough said about that. Today, I'm excited because I'm gonna talk about money. Now, hold up. I just got done telling you how much I love this service. And now you're sitting there all quiet. Maybe it was in the delivery. Today, I'm going to talk about money. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, and, and the reason why I say that is because we are a generous church. Our heart is to be known for generosity. I don't care what people say about Elevate out in the community. I don't care if they say that pastor, he's crazy, he's messed up. I want them to say that's a generous church that they see a need, that they meet a need, that they're all about giving and helping people it's through our generosity, through our kindness, I believe that leads people to Jesus, right? That draws people to repentance. And so we're a generous church. How many of you would say, just honestly, that you feel like you're, you're a pretty generous person? Raise your hand. You're a pretty generous person. I agree wholeheartedly. I do, because I look around the room and I see some crazy, awesome, committed, generous people that use their time, talents, their gifts every single week serving in our church and in our city. And we have a generous church. You go out these doors and you turn to the left, there's a wall that says, live generously. That's really our heart. We want to be leading the way when it comes to generosity. Uh, however, unfortunately, whenever we talk about it, we talk about money, we talk about generosity, things get a little tense. People get a little bit uncomfortable. And the truth is, tragically, in America, we're not all that generous. I'm going to show you a few stats in a little bit. But if you ask people, are you generous, most of the time they will say, yes, I am. And the reason they'll say, yes, I am, is because they give something. But you need to hear this. There is a big difference between giving and generosity. They're not the same thing. Generosity is orienting your life, is living your life around the thrill of really being used by God, using all that you have to make a difference. Here's a couple of thoughts about generosity, about people in America, if you want to jot these down. Most Americans don't feel rich, and we are. Most Americans think they are generous, and they are not. 
Most people in America, they don't feel rich. And the reason why we don't feel rich, right, is because there's someone who is always richer, someone who always has, has more. And when we compare ourselves with them, oftentimes we don't feel very wealthy. However, when we compare ourselves with people around the world, we have to acknowledge that we are rich, that we are wealthy, that we are crazy blessed. How many of you uh, drove a car to church today? Hold your hands up. How many of you own a car or at least one car in the house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on a lot of statistics, that means if you have one car in your household, at least one, you are somewhere between uh, six to nine percent in the six to nine percentile of the wealthiest people in the world. Did you know that? Based on whatever study you read, I I saw six percent, I've seen nine percent, but if you have one car, in your household, you are in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. Like we're rich. And think about all the things that we take for granted. Like literally some of you experienced this this week. You drove in that car that you own up Peach Street looking for your favorite restaurant, right? And you drove by five or six restaurants to get to your favorite one. And when you got there, you, you know, maybe you had to wait in line, so you're a little ticked because it took about 10 or 15 minutes to get your burrito bowl or to get your Christian chicken sandwich or whatever it was. Hey, which by the way, Chick-fil-A's opening up a new one down on 12th Street. How awesome is that, right? <laughs> Christian chicken taking over Erie. That's it. But you, or maybe you, go, you like uh, steak, and so you went to your favorite steakhouse. And somebody came and someone served you a meal. And they picked up your food, they picked up your leftovers, they picked up your, your plates, right? And they, they took them away. And then you got back in your car and you drove to your house. And if you're like me, when you got to your house, you pushed a button and a door opened up and you drove your car into a house for your car. <laughs> That's how rich we are. Some of us, right, maybe you even, you have, you have a two-car house or a three-car house. Some of you have, have stuff in your car house, so much stuff your car doesn't even fit in your car house, right? <laughs> you have to rent another house, a storage space for all the stuff that you have, which, by the way, you better clean that sucker out because winter's coming. I'm just letting you know, right? And so we, we're ridiculously wealthy. And then you come out of your car house and you go into your house house, your real house, which is climate controlled, by the way, which means if you want it 72 degrees in your house, it's 72 degrees in your house, no matter what it is outside. Or if you're like my family, if you want it 59 degrees in your house, it's 59 degrees in your house because my wife and I believe, like, if you can't see your breath, then it's not cold enough, all right? So that's our house. It has to be super cold. And then in your house at some point, while you're in your house, let's all just say what it is, you have to go to the bathroom, all right, let's call it what it is. And you have a bathroom. And when you push a handle, your stuff goes away. (laughs) If you don't thank God for the blessing every now and then, (laughs) that when you push a handle, your stuff goes away, you're missing out on an incredible blessing because that's not what happens around the world. Some people, they push a button, their stuff stays, all right? Just it stays there, but your stuff goes away. And then you get to sleep in a comfortable bed. And you wake up, maybe you get ready for work in the morning, you take a shower, it's a hot shower, hot water, you go into your closet, which is massive, you walk in and there's clothes everywhere, top, you know, bottom, and you touch every clothes, and ladies, what do you do? You touch everything, maybe this happened today, and you still, you know, you go around all your clothes and you go, I have nothing to, (laughs) liars, (laughs) all of you. 
you have so much clothes in that closet that if all your clothes fell on you, you would suffocate to death, all right? Someone have to come searching for you. You got so much stuff in there. The reality is we are blessed. We are blessed. We are, are wealthy. But most Americans, they don't feel like they are, are wealthy. And the reason is, is because someone else is, is richer. And a lot of us think that we are generous. And the trouble is we're not that generous. If you asked uh, the average American, they would tell you, yeah, I'm generous. But let me show you a couple of stats on that. The average American actually gives 2.6% of their income. But we say we're, we're generous, which, which means if, if, say, if you made, uh, had a household income of $50,000 a year, um, man, I really am terrible at math, but that's roughly a, like 1400 bucks. Is that accurate? Anyone calculate? All right, never mind. Like a year. And I'm not talking about to the church. That could be to your alumni association. That could be to, you know, a, a family member. That could be to someone in need, a different nonprofit. Like, that's what we get. However, we say that we are generous. And a lot of people will push back and say, well, if I made more, I would give more. Well, no, you wouldn't. You would be exactly as generous with $10 as you would be with $10,000, maybe even less. Because statistics prove that if you make $100,000 or more, you only give 2.6% of your income. And statistically speaking, people who make less often give more. But as Jesus followers, we're called to live differently. We're called to have a different mindset. I believe that we can do much better than what's listed up there. But the reason why we don't give and don't feel like we can be generous is because we don't feel like we can. For many of us, let's just call it what it is. The reason why we don't give is because we don't feel like we can't. I don't know anybody in this room that if I was to ask you, hey, do you wish you could be more generous? Everybody in this room would say, yeah, I do. I wish I could, I could be there. I wish I could, I wish I could give more. But, but honestly, we don't feel like, like we can. Maybe because things are tight. Maybe because we're, we're scared. Maybe we're doing our best to make ends meet. And it's because we live in what's known as, jot this down, a scarcity mindset. You can study this. You can read about it. Uh, you, you can learn uh, what this looks like. I learned this from a, a great pastor uh, friend. But a scarcity mindset comes through in our language in, in the form of, you know, I, I'd love to do that, but I just can't do it. Or there's always, you know, too much month, uh, more month than there is money. Or I wish I had enough. I can't ever get ahead. It seems like I'm always behind. That's what a scarcity mindset sounds like. And the challenge is if we live there, we're living in what's called the scarcity cycle. And what that looks like is that God supplies. We believe that everything we have comes from God. That if you're a follower of Jesus, this is our belief. All the good gifts we have, the, the ability to work, the ability to do anything, to make money, to earn income, is really a gift from God that God has given that to us. And a lot of people will say, no, no, no I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. No, you're not. God created you, he formed you, he knit you together, he gave you the ability to earn. So everything that we have really is a gift from God and God supplies and so what do we do? We consume. We feel like, all right, this is all mine. I worked for it, I made it, I'm gonna consume and we spend it all and we consume it all. And then at the end of the month, we're like, uh-oh, not enough left, right? And so we lack and so it starts this cycle where God supplies, we consume, and then we end up lacking. We can't make these payments. We can't afford to get by. And what is the dominant emotion that we feel when we lack is fear. 
So God supplies, we consume, we end up lacking because we've consumed everything and now we're afraid and now we're scared and now we don't know how to put food on the table and now we don't how to know how to, to make ends meet. And tragically, this is how people live their lives. God consumes or, or God supplies, we consume, uh, we lack and then we fear. This is called living paycheck to paycheck. And many of us know this all too well. God gives, we spend all that we have, we consume it all. In fact, a lot of times we consume more than what we make. The average American lives on 126% of their income. I don't know how we do that, through credit cards, right? But we, we spend more than we even make. We lack, we fear, we consume, and it's the cycle over and over and over again. And you recognize it in your language. I wish I could give, but I can't. I can't ever seem to get ahead I can't ever seem to make ends meet. It's the cycle of scarcity. Now, let's, let's be honest. If when I say, hey, we're gonna talk about money, we're gonna talk about generosity, and you're, you, you, know, you get tense, you, your butt cheeks start to clench up just a little bit, you know what I'm saying? It's okay, let's be real. It could be because this is the way you're living. You have a scarcity mindset. You're living in the scarcity cycle. You're consuming all that you have, and then at the end, you're, you're lacking, and it leads to living in fear. However, Jesus' followers have a totally different mindset. Because of what God has done for us through Jesus, and because we do something first, because in response to what God has done, we're going to talk about that, then God does something different, and it creates a whole different kind of cycle. It's not a cycle of scarcity. It's a cycle of supply, and I want to show it to you. Um, But first, here is our part. Jot this down. We give generously. We believe God supplies everything that we have, so we give generously. That's what Jesus' followers do because of what God did for us. It's our response back to him. In fact, this is what Paul says about it in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. What I want to do is read a little bit and show you our part, and I want to show you God's part as well. But Paul said, you must decide in your heart how much to what? How much to give. That's, that's our first response. You have to decide how to do this. We know that everything that we have comes from God, and now we have to decide how much we're going to give, and he gives us instructions. Don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it in response to pressure. In other words, if you feel manipulated, don't do it. Like God's word says this. If you feel like this is pressure, if you feel like you know, someone's pushing you to do this, don't do it. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. You know what that word cheerful actually means? Like the literal word is hilarious. That's what it is. God thinks it's He loves a hilarious giver. Like it's freaking hilarious when you give generously, right? I love that because we really believe, like it is hilarious. It's more blessed for us to give than to receive. And then what happens, verse eight, God will generously provide all you need. Hey, that's not lack. That's not fear. That's not scarcity, right? God provides, then you'll have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and then they give generously to the poor and their good deeds will be remembered forever. This is what Jesus' followers do. It's a different mentality. It's a different approach on giving. God blesses us. He supplies for us. We give, and when we give, God makes sure that we have plenty. In fact, he gives us more than we need to share with others, and the Bible says they'll remember it forever. That's our part. 
Our part of, as God supplies, we, we give. Look at what God's part is. Jot this down. He multiplies it abundantly. So we give generously. God multiplies it abundantly. Continuing on in this text, verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. That's what he does. That's his part. He provides seed for us to sow. He provides seed and resources for us to plant. He provides bread, spiritual food for us as well. And then in the same way, he says, he will provide and increase your resources. In other words, he multiplies it. This isn't lack. This isn't scarcity. This is living in abundance. This is living in, in blessing. He increases your resources. He multiplies it. Then what happens? This produces a harvest of generosity in you. God's blessing it. God is multiplying it, not just to do it, because it produces something in you. It produces even more generosity in your life so that you will be enriched in every way, not that you can live in fear, not so you can consume all that you have, but so that you can be generous. The NIV says on every occasion, giving all that you have, when, when we take those gifts to those who need them, their response is going to be they're going to thank God for them. The common mindset would tell you, hey, God supplies and we consume. It's yours. You keep it all, you deal with it all, and then we start to lack. And when we lack, we live in this fear. However, God supplies and then we sow. We, we, we give it back, we, we bring it back. God multiplies it and it continues the cycle and we are giving generously. Let me, let me show you the, the difference in these two cycles. If you remember the first one, God supplies, we consume, we lack, we live in fear because of that and the cycle goes on and on and on. But the other cycle, God supplies and we give. And that's what Paul tells us. This is the first thing that we do. God gives us seed to sow, and we, we give. We plant it. And how do we do that? By our first and our best. It's called the tithe. We give our first, and we give our best because God gave us his first, and he gave us his best in his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, right, that he gave. That's what we, we do. We give, and then what happens is God multiplies. So as we respond to God by all that he's given us, and we, we give back, he multiplies that. And it creates more uh, in us to give to others. And what that does is when he creates more in us, it really builds our faith. It helps our faith grow. And then we see as God continues to supply and we give back to him our first and best, he multiplies it and it continues to build our faith. It continues to grow. It's the cycle of not scarcity. It's a cycle of supply and it continues on and we give and we're cheerful about it. We're giving generously and we're able to worship God with our first and best with the tithe. Here's what the tithe does. Write this down. Tithing breaks the cycle of scarcity and generates a new cycle of supply. That's what the tithe does. Colby, how does it do that? Let, let's talk about that. Well, what, is, what is the tithe? Tithe is the Hebrew word, uh, it's, it's maser, and it literally means one-tenth, all right? It's just, it's a tenth. We give God a tenth. The, the first fruits that we have, we give it back to God, and people push back and say, yeah, but isn't that an Old Testament thing? Isn't that what they did, you know, back then, according to the law. Well, if you go all the way back before the law, you'll see that Abraham returned the tithe. He returned the first of his increase back to God. And even in the New Testament, Jesus himself, you know, is recorded affirming, saying, hey, yes, you should tithe. Don't forget, you know, these other things of the law, but tithe. As if to say, it's just the assumption, of course you tithe. 
This is just what we do for followers of Jesus. We, we tithe, we give back to God. God blesses us and we worship him by returning to God. And I say return because we're not giving to God. You give something that belongs to you, but we understand as far as of Jesus, God supplies. Like none of this belongs to us. So it's already his. We're just returning back to what he gave us in the first place. He multiplies it. It builds our faith and we give some more. And instead of living in that cycle of scarcity, it's now a cycle of supply. I want to unpack for you three powerful thoughts about the tithe. Here's what the, the first one is if you want to jot this down. The tithe reveals to us, reveals our priority relationship. That's what it does. I love the way it's recorded in, in, in today's living word, Deuteronomy 14, 23. It says, the purpose of the tithe is to teach you to always put God first in your life. It teaches us to put God first. It reveals our priority relationship. Now, if I can, real quick, I want to stop and get all up in your brain. Because here's what you're thinking right now. Why did I come today? I could have stayed home. I didn't want to talk about this. I didn't want to have to hear about this. Or maybe, honestly, there's some fear associated with it. And you say, Colby, I get it. I've heard it all before. But you don't understand. If I was to do this, it would mean I have to make some big changes. I have to rearrange a lot in my, my life if I was to do this. And my response to that would be, yes, it would. Because it reveals a priority relationship in your life. Or you might say, no, 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 you still don't understand. I mean, I'm talking massive changes, Colby, if I was to do this. Yes, it would. No, 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 no. I mean, it would have to be a massive amount of faith for me to be able to give back to God this way. You are absolutely right. Yes, it would. But Colby, what I normally do is I kind of wait to the end of the month and I take care of my bills. I take care of everything I have to take care of. And then, you know, I see what's left over. And then, then that's kind of what, what I give and I'll put it in the, the offering bucket as it goes by. Let me tell you this, anybody can give last. It takes faith to give first. And I would argue all day long that the tithe is more about the order than it is about the amount. It's about saying, God, you are the priority relationship. Yeah, that's good. If you're gonna clap, clap, don't play with it. Just do it. God, you are the priority relationship in my life. And then I wanna give back to you first as an act of worship because of what you've done to me. See, the tithe is, is a tangible way that I can always um, say, God, you, you, are, you gave me so much. You sent your son to die for me. My only response is to live my life for you. And I wanna demonstrate that by putting you first. It reveals our priority relationship. That I've rearranged, that I've reprioritized my life around you as Lord over all. See, there's a big difference between Jesus being the savior of your life and being the Lord of your life. Did you know that? Like the savior means you've received the payment of his sacrifice on the cross for you. That, that's kind of the uh, uh, heaven and hell issue that you've, you've confessed Jesus as Lord or, or savior of your life and you believe that. But confessing him as Lord means that you're willing to follow whatever he says means that now it's not your life to live, that, that he, he, he bought you the moment he died for you. And that now you're going to live for him. He's the Lord of your life. And what tithing does, it prioritizes him in that position of Lord. The second thing that it does, jot this down, it builds your faith. Helps to build our faith. 
Uh, we, we see how God is faithful when we give our first and best. This is what Malachi 3.10 teaches us. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then watch this. God says, test me. This is crazy because this is the only place in God's word where God says you're, you're able to challenge him on this. That it's okay to test him on this. He says, test me. See if I don't throw open the storehouses, right, uh, and, and give you more than you ever thought. See if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Test me. See if my economy of giving is not different from the world's economy of giving. He says, test me. Test me, give, give back first and see if I don't multiply that. And it builds our faith and it begins uh, this, this cycle of supply in our life. In other words, God is saying, give me your first and give me your best and I'll bless the rest. Test me. And I would just challenge you, test God in this. See if his blessing on 90% doesn't go a whole heck of a lot further than you know 100% without it. Just test him in this area of your life. Start with, with the tithe. And, and a lot of people will push back and say, Colby, that's, let's be honest, 10%, that's a lot, man. Like, that's, that's hard. And I say, I, I understand that. I know that. Maybe, maybe you start with, with 5%, with the intention of committing to get to 10. Because I think there's something about that number 10. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But maybe you would say, all right, I'm going to commit to five again because I believe the order is more important than the amount. The amount's important. We're going to talk about that. But just say, so you know, I can commit to doing this. And then you commit to putting God, God first in your life. And you see how he blesses that. And then maybe you up it to, to 6%, then to 7% as God continues to bless you. And I, the reason why I believe it's 10, because he could have made it eight, right? He could have said, you know, return, you know, a, a sixth, you know, percent or, or whatever, but 10 is a number of testing found throughout God's word. Like God tested Pharaoh's heart by sending how many plagues? 10. Um, there are 10 commandments, right? 10 commandments. He's testing our, our, our ability to, to follow him, to give our lives sacrificially for him. There were, there were 10 lepers, not leopards, but lepers that Jesus healed and one came back. He was testing, right? Who was gonna come back with gratitude? Jesus tells another parable about 10 virgins. So I think there's something significant about the number, but maybe you don't start there at one time, but you get there. And the intention is I can do it eventually. I can't do it now, you know, but I'm gonna give my first. I'm gonna commit to doing that, whatever that looks like. And I'm, my goal is to get there and then beyond and watch how he blesses it. For example, um, because this is really an exercise in faith, maybe you'd say, Colby, I'm gonna come work out. We're gonna go to the gym together. And I say, cool, let's do it. We, we get to the gym and I say, drop and give me 40. And you're like, I ain't giving you 40. I'll give you six, right? Six push-ups is all I can do. Well, maybe that's all you can do now. But eventually, right, you can get to 40. I, I believe that you do six now and then in two weeks, maybe you're doing 14. And you crank out 14, and in two months, you're cranking out 27. But by the end of six months, I guarantee you, everyone in this room, you can do 40. As you see God continually be faithful in your life as you put him, him first, it's going to start rearranging your life. You start prioritizing your life around him, and ultimately, you're going to recognize the money was never about you anyway. It was about what God can do in and through you. 
He tells us, you know, whoever's faithful in the little things, I'll, I'll give him more to be faithful with. So again, he, he's watching the way that we, that we use it. As we prioritize that relationship and it builds our, our faith in him. In fact, let me tell you a little bit about my personal tithing journey. Um, my wife and I, uh, I grew up in the Salvation Army. Many of you know that. And we, we didn't have much. Like my parents got about $150 a week to pay for groceries and things like that. Salvation Army provided a home for us, vehicles for us, but that's it. We had three boys, growing boys in the house and 150 bucks a week for like groceries. Every two weeks they get 300 bucks. But we didn't have a scarcity mindset. I want you to know that. I don't wanna sound like, um, you know, woe is me. It wasn't that at all. Like we, we lived, you know, in this generosity mentality. We're just gonna give back, you know, things that we have. So I, I loved how I grew up, but we didn't have much. Uh, and in fact, in the Salvation Army, my parents ran a corps in Portsmouth, Virginia, when I was in like third or fourth grade. And uh, many of you know the Salvation Army by the, the bell ringers during Christmas. You guys seen those guys out there? Ringing bells, the annoying ones, you know? That was me, All right? Third and fourth grade, I would ring bells, you know, and help my family. We'd ring bells out in front of Walmart, out in front of whatever. But that, those, all those kettles would come back and they would get stored in the church upstairs and people would count the money. Well, on Sundays... Like I would sneak upstairs with my friend and the Bible says, if you don't tithe, you're robbing God. Well, I wasn't tithing and robbing God. I was robbing, robbing God, all right? Because I would go upstairs, me and my friend, I'm not gonna name his name, it was Martin, but we would go upstairs <laughs> and we would steal money from those kettles that you guys gave to on Christmas. I'm about to get struck in this room, right? Like that's, I was robbing right from God. The reason why we do it, I would take a no fewer than three quarters because we would go across the street to the convenience store and I would grab a, a bag of Pop Rocks. Anybody remember Pop Rocks? And some garbage pail kids. You know what I'm saying? Garbage pails? Okay. And when I take them back and my dad would still be preaching and we'd crack open those Pop Rocks and I'd finish listening to his message with stolen Pop Rocks going off in my mouth, all right? That's how bad it was. And so I didn't really grow up, you know, even understanding and thinking about what the tithe was until uh, really I got to college, heard a message about it. And it was during that season where I was wholeheartedly giving my life to follow Jesus. And then Kristen and I got married. And by the way, um, I'd heard the same thing over and over and over that you guys hear all the time. A lot of this isn't new. You've heard, hey, this, this is how you establish uh, you know, God as being the, the dominant relationship in your life or, or you know, you can't serve both God and money. Uh, your money is your number one competitor for your heart. You know, if God doesn't have, have your wallet, he doesn't have your heart. I'd heard it all before just like you over and over and again. And when God told me in college, he was saying that stuff and I'm like, no, that's my money. I worked hard for that at American Eagle Outfitters. I did in college, working at American Eagle. And there was no way I was gonna tithe. But then I heard a message where it was, it was more of this is what we do. This is what Jesus followers do. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to follow Jesus, then he is going to be that, that priority relationship. And he doesn't want to be the, the savior, just the savior of your life. He wants to be the Lord over your life. And it really, when it clicked that it wasn't about me or my money and that it wasn't mine to begin with, that I was just a manager of what God had, had given me and was I gonna be faithful with it? Like it changed. And so I remember Kristen and I, uh, our first year of marriage, we were living in Cleveland, Ohio, going to Parkside Church. A guy by the name of Alistair Begg is a pastor there, the Scottish dude, is an amazing, amazing pastor. And we just felt like, all right, it's time for us to, 
to make good on this. So our first year of marriage, you know, I, we, we, we wrote a check, um, which by the way, for those of you that don't know what a check is, all right, you can Google it, ask your grandma, they can tell you, but it's this piece of paper, you can write an amount on it, right, and you, you put that in the offering, and so, and so that's what we did, probably with fear and trepidation, our hands are trembling, writing that first tithe check. And I was thinking about this this morning, um, and I didn't tell Kristen this, but in the, I was thinking about it, and I remember we were, I was making $9 an hour at SeaWorld as an animal trainer, and Kristen was going to school full-time. And we had debt. I had debt from college. Like, it's not like we lived wisely, you know, our whole lives. I brought that in, credit card debt. We had car payments, all that kind of stuff. But we wrote that check just trusting in God's word and what he was gonna say to us. And that first year, at some point, I was trying to figure out the timeline of this, but we received a check in the mail. Like we had applied for student loans. Kristen was finishing up at Kent State University and we received a check in the mail and we read it. And I don't remember how much it was for to you. It, it, for us, it seemed like a million dollars, but it was a Pell Grant. And I didn't know that grants you didn't have to pay back. I didn't. Like at the time, we're like, oh, all right, well, here's, we're gonna be more in debt but we found out that it was just free money, that it was money that was given to us to help cover those things. And I'm just telling you, I don't know when it necessarily worked out, but all I know is we were faithful with what God has given us and God has blessed us. And nearly 20, 20 plus years now, we've been faithful to return God's first and best back to him and back to his house. And we've never been without. Like, we've made some bad financial decisions, just like many people in this room, but we live with financial peace. We don't have, our only debt is our house kind of thing, and so we just feel extremely blessed, and that's why I don't have any problem sharing this with you, because it really is our heart. I know what it's done for us. I, I know what generosity does for you. I know what it could mean in this, this church, that we are, are blessed, and when you see God move in your life that way and provide for you, like you love to live in the cycle of supply. It's just what, what we do. We put God first and it reveals our priority relationship with him. It helps build our faith. Here's the last one. I want you to jot this down. Unapologetically, it provides for the work of this church. I say that with no problem. It provides for the ministry and the work of this church. Uh, Look at Malachi 3.10 again. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. My house is God's house. His house is, is the church. By a show of hands, how many of you would honestly say that your life is different because God's worked through this church? That you'd say your life is spiritually different because of the way God's worked in and through this church? Yeah. You know why that is? It's because someone gave and trusted God with that. And they, they, they poured it into God's storehouse and because of that, ministry was able to happen and it's made a difference in our life. I'll give you one story of a person that has made a, a difference in their life. Um, his name is Greg. Two weeks ago, Greg crossed that line of faith and committed his life to Jesus. Two weeks ago, all right? Before that, wait, wait, wait. Before that, because this gets a whole heck of a lot better. So just hang on. Two years ago, he would show up to this church, hi, every single week. 
like his girlfriend would bring him and he just kind of was, you know, just trying to please her, just going through the motions and just, you know, I'll just come and, and hang out, find whatever. And it was something that, that eventually got a hold of his heart that he decided he needed to make some changes. And those of you that know that have been struggling in addiction or you know people that are, you can tell them to your blue in the face that they need to make some changes, but until they decide, till it clicks in their life and they know they need to make changes, it doesn't matter. Well, for Greg, it mattered in that moment. Something moved in his heart and he was convicted of it and he went into rehab like the next day. Turns out now, two years later, he's sober. Two years later, he's sober, something changed in his life, and two weeks ago, he gave his life to Jesus, and that's one person out of 41 people who gave their life to Jesus in September alone, all right? That's one story out of 41 salvation stories. In fact, that's one story out of 441 that gave their life to Jesus this year. Salvations, documented salvations of people, one story. So think of all those stories. That's one story out of 4,100 who have given their life to Jesus over the lifetime of this church. Think about what God does as you give. It provides for the work of ministry. And I was sharing that, this story last night. And there's a guy sitting in this auditorium. I don't know where he was sitting, but that story resonated with him because he was gonna leave that church service and go get high. And last night, because of that story, he gave his life to Jesus and surrendered it all. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I have no problem, no hesitation telling you that when you trust God with your first and best, that not only will he bless you and multiply it, enable you to be more generous. And that blessing doesn't always come in the form of finances, you know that. It comes in the form of maybe a great marriage or a great, great relationship with your mom or dad or a wayward son or daughter coming back. It could be, it could be financial, it could be in many different ways, but he'll bless you. And you take that generosity and you, you help others and God will continue that cycle of supply in your life. You got one more story, can I do one more? One more story, all right, one more. They can't tell me what to do anyway. So one more story. Um, four weeks ago, there was a, a young man uh, named Jake who came through the, the church probably about, it's been uh, two or three months now that he's been coming to church here. And uh, he had ran from the church. He, he kind of grew up knowing about church and knowing about the things of God, but definitely wasn't living that out. Wanted to be so far from that and just having bad experiences, I think, in the church. He said, I'm gonna give it a shot. He comes through these doors and he has an encounter with God. And it's different. And something is different this time in his heart. And he commits his life to Jesus. He gets plugged in into crash course. And we had this big baptism, but, but he missed it. And he comes and approaches me and says, I wanna get baptized. So like that very next week, we did it outside in a trough. Like just said, let's go for it. Let's do this. And he was baptized after committing his life to Jesus and he's gonna be up here playing guitar in just a second, how awesome is that? That's because, and can I tell you something? That's one story out of 777 people who got baptized in this church. That's amazing, that's the number of perfection by the way too, just so you know. The 777 people, one story. When you give, that's what it does. This is what we do. People say, why would you, why would you give hundreds of thousands of dollars? Because we have this year. 
already out to people who need it the most, out to help feed people in other parts of the world through Convoy of Hope, out to, out to help people who are feeling the devastation of hurricanes right now, about to send a crew. You're gonna hear more about that in the coming weeks down to help with some of the cleanup. Why would you do it? It's because this is what we do. This is what we're called to do. This is who we are. This is why we exist, to be a generous church. I have one question for you. Are you a part of we? Are you a part of that? Are you a part of that? Have you trusted God with that? Are you living in the the cycle of scarcity and lack and in fear and in doubt? Or have you said, you know what, God? I'm gonna trust you with this. I'm gonna take you at your word. And I'm gonna give you my first and best and see how you show up and multiply it and create the cycle of supply in my life. Let's do this. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? The reason why we give is because God decided long ago that he was going to be a giver, that he was gonna give his first and best to us. And we respond in generosity and say, God, because of what you've done for me, and I can't help but to give back to you. My time, my talent, my treasure. God, take it all, multiply it, use it. You've given me the resource, you've given me the seed to sow, and so I'm just gonna be obedient, and I'm gonna plant it, and I'm gonna see how it grows and how I'm able to be generous for generations to come. And for many of you in this room, you've done that. Thank God for your your obedience. I celebrate your generosity. But for some, if we're honest, if we'd say, I'm really not that generous. And maybe today God is convicting us, take one more step, whatever that looks like, and living for him and be, being obedient. Maybe you're, you're sitting where I was and you've heard it time and time again, but maybe you understand for the first time that this is just what we do. This is who God has called us to be. And so you might take another step in your entrusting of God of the resources that he's given you. Or maybe you're in this room today and you feel 100 miles from God but you know that God has brought you here. And when I say things like God gave his first and his best, you're not quite sure what that means. Here's what that means. He gave Jesus to die on the cross for you because he loves you, because he cares for you, because he didn't want you to have to go through life holding on to your sin, holding on to your shame, holding on to your addictions, holding on to those patterns in your life, but to be set free so that you could live a full life for him, the life that he's called you to live. And for some of you, this is why you're here. Maybe it was through someone else's generosity that brought you through these doors. It's through our our kindness, right, that that leads people, that draws people to Jesus. And today you understand that God is beyond kind. He's beyond gracious. He's beyond generous. And he gave Jesus for you. And maybe you'd say, that's what I want. I'm gonna receive that. I understand that Jesus died for me. I need to receive that. What do I do? Well, you pray a simple prayer like this. You can use your own words. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart. But if you're here today and say, Colby, I need to surrender my life. Jesus gave it all for me. I'm gonna give my life back to him in, in return. If you'd say, I'm gonna pray that right along with you, would you raise your hand and just hold it up high? Just kind of as an act of worship to God. This is kind of surrender. Just saying, God, take my life. Take my life take my life. Praise God for all of you. Just say something like this in your heart. Jesus, today, I give you it all. I don't just confess you as Savior. 
I know that's who you are. I know you died for my sins on the cross, but now I confess you as Lord. And that means I'm gonna live my life for you. However you tell me to live, I'm gonna do it. Whatever you call me to do, I'm gonna do it. But from this moment on, I'm gonna trust in you as the Lord of my life. God, thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. And so thank you for right now creating a new life in me and bringing me to a new life in Christ Jesus. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there'll be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to feeling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.